All right. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning. God, I love this service. Y'all are my people. Except I don't have five minutes this morning. I hate the whole time, so uh, buckle up. It's going to be... It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and get those out. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12, primarily focusing on verse 1 this morning. And while you're finding your place and getting comfortable, let me introduce myself for those of you that don't know me. Uh, my name is Ian O'Donnell. I'm the student pastor here at FBC. And I just want to take a moment and say welcome. We're so glad you are here with us uh, this morning. Whether you're a guest, you've been coming for a while, I just... Love seeing your faces here. We really do. Um, but just to get you up to speed on where we're headed this morning, uh, we are closing up today a series we've been in for a while called We Are. And the whole point of the service was for us to focus our, our hearts and our minds around as a, as a family, our church family, to talk about like what we value here as a church. What are we fighting for as a church? And we started from the very beginning that we are a gospel-centered people. That the gospel is the lens by which we view everything we do in the world. And by belief in the gospel, it thus thrusts us, it propels us into our actions. Meaning because of the gospel, we want to be a people who make disciples who make disciples. Because of the gospel, we want to live on mission. Because of the disciples, we want to live in community. Because of the gospel, we want to value hospitality. We want, a people, we want to be a people of generosity. We want to fight for excellence. And we want to be unified in all that we do. And today we want to wrap up and talk about how we... As a church, value worship, specifically the worship of Jesus. So that is where we are headed today. Um, I'm going to read Romans 12, verse 1. I'll read it and I'll pray and we'll jump in, okay? So this is Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. And the Word of God says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much just for this time. And God, I pray, um, and with it being Sunday, there's a lot of times where our minds are distracted. We're thinking about what happened this past week or we're really being distracted by what's coming up this week. And God, I just pray during this time, I don't know who everybody is. I don't know what everybody is going through, what baggage, what heartache is going on in their life, but God, you do. And Father, I pray that you help us submit those and lay those at your feet this morning so that this morning we can hear from your word clearly. That we can engage with a peace that surpasses all understanding through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we might be able to receive your word with an open mind, an open heart, and open hands. God, break chains this morning. Break down walls in us today. Help us just to clearly hear your word, the message you have for us today. And church family, if you're willing, I want to ask you to pray the same thing for yourselves. If you're willing, ask the Lord to speak to you this morning. Ask God to teach you something this morning that is that goes beyond just your regular check-in-the-box Sunday service, but Help him to ask him to teach you something this morning that where you can remember for this day forever. That's when I encountered Jesus in a very real way. Go ahead and do that now. Father, we love you and we trust you. May your name and your words be remembered and not mine. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Uh, Well, growing up, uh, and for as long as I can remember, I have been a person who loves, overloves to ask the question of why. 
Uh, it's something I often ask myself. It's something I often ask of people and something I often ask of culture even to annoyance. Um, and I remember this when I was a kid. Uh, when I was a kid, I would, I would be that person. I could walk up to literally anybody. I didn't care. And I would, I would just, I could be like, hey, why is the grass green? They'd be like, well, the grass is green because you water it. And I was like, well, why does the grass require water to be green? I was like, well, if you don't water it, the grass is gonna die. The grass is gonna die. I was like, hold on, why is the grass gonna die if I don't water it? Well, because God made it that way. And it's like, well, why did God make it that way? And on and on I would go. And I would, I'm sorry, I was that frustrated kid. I'm sorry, I'm not sorry, but that's just that's just me. Um, but that that has stuck with me through my entire life. This question of why, which is why the major I chose in college when I was at UT, don't you hiss at me? Um, when I was at UT, uh, my last semester of of college or in my time of college was psychology. And in my last, my last semester of college studying psychology, if you know what psychology is, it's just, it's a study. It's a, a science and a social research, um, that focuses on why people do literally anything they do, which is perfect for me. Right. Um, but in this specific class, it was uh, clinical psychology with Dr. Bradbury. And we were studying how to properly counsel people in relationships. We were dating and marriages and things like that, what to say and what not to say. And one of the things she mentioned, like what not to say, was like a, something you need to rein in, something you cannot ask too much or say too much was the question of why. Now, me being me, I, I raised my hand. I'm like, um, Why? Why, why is that something we shouldn't say too much? And, and she said in something that's always stuck with me. And she said, because the question why tends to fluster people. It tends to frustrate people. It can make people uncomfortable because what the question why does is it requires you to, to go beyond the surface level and actually go deeper. It requires you to actually be honest with yourself and for you to look inwardly, to look introspectively into why you actually do the things you do. And more often than not, people don't want to do that. They don't want to have to be honest with themselves. They don't want to have to go deeper. They don't have to look inwardly at their hearts. They don't want to ask themselves maybe why you say the things you say, why you treat people the way you treat people, why you view yourself the way you view yourself, why you view society the way you view society. All of it comes back to being willing to answer the question of why and rather and even though uh, it's something we should do more often than not it tends to be something we avoid altogether now why why talk about all that i tell you that because today we're talking about a specific what in the bible and that what is worship and that worship it's a good thing but what makes worship worth our time worth studying this morning is not necessarily the the what but the why behind it the why is what makes worship worth our time, worth our attention, worth our focus this morning. Because what's really interesting is the, work, the why of worship is also the why of the entire Bible, if you, if you didn't know that. And I think that's important for us because I think this morning there was probably plenty of people who come into the room today and can say a lot of things that the Bible says, right? We can spout a, bu- a bunch of facts and things we've learned about what the Bible says, but more often than not, people cannot say why the Bible says what it says, We can ask it what, but we don't ask why. We don't know why every word of God is written and why it exists for him and for us, right? It's something we we tend to omit. Why? Because it requires you to go deeper, right? And so this morning, I want to ask you, do not just assume it's just another day at church. 
Don't just assume we can keep it on the surface today. No, God wants to do so much more in your life today than just go beyond the surface. So when we start talking about the what and we dig into the why, allow God to dig into your life, to dig into your heart for your good, for your joy, okay? So that's where we're headed today. We want to talk about the what and why of worship. So before we get to the why, we have to make clear the what. So what is worship? What do we think about more often than not when we talk about worship? Think about singing, right? That period before the message and after the message where we're going to sing some songs. And no, don't get me wrong. Worship is most certainly, or singing is most certainly a form of worship. But it is not the only type of worship. And we need to make it abundantly clear what worship is because if we miss it, there are eternal life-altering consequences if we miss it. But this could also be an eternal life-changing day for all of us if we get it right. Matthew 15 verses 8 and 9 talks about this. Jesus is speaking here to uh, the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, people that you would consider are really good people and they, they seem like they know all everything about the Bible, but these guys had it missed a little bit. Check this out. Um, Jesus quotes Isaiah twenty nine thirteen to them and he says this, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. So what he's saying here is he's speaking of the fact that they might have learned all the right things to say, but their heart isn't in the right place. This might, maybe some of us, like if you've grown up in the church or you've been around Christian circles, you learn all the right things to say. Like you learn when you're supposed to say certain things, when to rein it in, when to say amen, when to hold it back, when to lift your hands and worship, maybe when to keep it in. When you hear something you like, you go, hmm, that's good. You learn all those things. And at the end of the day, your heart, it's possible for you to do all the right things and completely miss the heart behind it. It's easily possible to be conformed to a pattern of religion, yet completely miss Jesus. And I don't know about you guys, but when I read that, that is terrifying to me. Like, I don't want it to be said of my life, to be said of Ian, that when I come to the end of my days, that my entire time being associated with the things of God, it being, even being my vocation and around Christian things, that at the end of the day, I worshipped in vain. I don't want that for me, and I certainly don't want that for you. So it is important for us this morning to really get to the heart of worship. So with that intent of clearly defining worship, let's go back to Romans 12, verse 1. Romans 12, 1. Paul writing to the Roman church and the Holy Spirit speaking then, speaking to us now. It says, I appeal to you, therefore. Now, when you see a therefore in the Bible, you should ask yourself, hey, therefore, what are you there for? See what he did there? That was for free, okay? So basically what he's saying, though, is that there, were, there are 11 chapters before Romans 12 run, right? So we need to know what happened in those 11 chapters. So if you want to flip to Romans 1, we'll start there. I'm just kidding. We don't have time. But in, in summary, Romans 12, or sorry, Romans 1 through 11 are all about Paul ex- exhaustively clarifying what is the gospel and what isn't the gospel. He's making it abundantly clear this is what the gospel is. And just to, for us to make sure we know what the gospel is, the gospel is the, how the story of God, he created a perfect world and we had a perfect relationship with him. No pain, no sin, no death, no brokenness. And we had to fellowship with this God in paradise. But us, in our pride, we thought we can live life better without God. We could actually be better gods than God himself. We don't need him. We think he's holding back on us. So we are going to rebel. And in our rebellion, we introduce sin, we introduce heartbreak, we introduce sorrow. 
And we, above all, introduce this separation, this chasm, this canyon that separates us and God. And in that, we feel it within us. We feel this emptiness. We feel this void within us. So to solve this problem, to redeem us from our own brokenness and our own wickedness, he sends Jesus. We have a deep need for a Savior, so he sends Jesus, his perfect son. And then Jesus comes and dies the death that you and I should have, rises from the grave, defeating us. And here's something I want you all to know this morning, that Jesus this morning doesn't do all of that just to fix us, but he does it to completely transform us. Jesus isn't looking for you this morning. It isn't looking just to to tweak little things about your behavior today. All right? Like, I know there might be some people in the room who came today who are like, man, I I have an anger issue, or I said some things to my spouse this week that I I wish I probably shouldn't have. I got a lying problem. You're like, to feel better about myself, I'm going to come to church today so I could feel less guilty. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm glad you're here. But God wants to do so much more in your life and in your heart today than just in adjusting the knobs of your anger. He wants so much more than that. God isn't looking for behavioral modification. He is looking for heart transformation. And those are completely different things. God doesn't want to just adjust you. He wants to make you a completely new person. 2 Corinthians 5 says, in Christ, we are a new creation. John 3 says, in Christ, we are to be born again. I believe it's in Colossians that we are to, because of Jesus, we put on the new self. So this morning, understand, Jesus wants to do so much more in you than just adjustments. He wants to make you completely brand new in Him because of the gospel. Let me read on the text as I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, by the kindness of God, by the character of God, by the compassion of God, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to who? To who? Let me know I'm not alone this morning. Who's he talking to? To God, right? He makes it abundantly clear that our worship, our heart's affections, all of who we are is to go to one person and one person alone, and that is God. Not parts of us, not just on Sundays and Wednesdays. All of us, all the time, okay? And then he says, why, why do we do this? It's our spiritual worship. This is our worship. So by looking at Matthew 15 and Romans 12, we have a running, working definition of what worship is. It requires all of our heart. Remember, in vain they worship me because our heart is far from me. So it requires our heart. But also because of the gospel, it leads to a change of lifestyle. So it's something that requires all of who we are, our heart, and then overflows into how we live. This is what Jesus is getting at in Mark 12. Mark 12, verses 29 through 30 says this, says, Jesus answered, he's, he's explaining, they're basically asking, hey, Jesus, what's the one thing we shouldn't miss while we're on earth? And he answers, he says, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. So worship, then, is something we do with all of us. It's not parts of us, but it requires all of who we are. All of our head, all of our heart, all of our hands, all of our thoughts, all of our feelings, all of our actions. Tim Keller says it like this. He says, worship is an act of ascribing or giving ultimate value to something or someone in a way that engages your entire being. So it's a worship of saying, like, I'm devoting all of my time, all of my affections, all of my emotions, all of my money to this person or this thing. Um, The great theologians Mumford and Sons would put it like this. They say in the line, in the line of one of their songs, Awake My Soul, it says, where you invest your love, you invest your life. Where you invest your love, you invest your life. I mean, think about it. What do you love most? Now look at your bank account. 
It tends to be where your money goes, right? Tends to be where your, that, seems to, that tends to be where your time goes. That's where your energy goes, where your thoughts go. Like when I first started dating Callie, that's where my, a lot of my money began to go. That's where a lot of my thoughts began to go. That's where a lot of my feelings began to go. Where you invest your love, you invest your life. But we need to talk about something here because Paul tells us in Romans 12, 1, present your bodies holy and acceptable to God and God alone because we are prone to wander and worship and love other things. Like That's why the writer of Come Thou Fountain says what he says. I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love. So what, what is this called? When we do wander, when we do run to other things, what, is, what happens when we're tempted to worship other things but God? That is called idolatry, and that's what, that's what occurs. We run to these things called idols. Now, before I keep going with idolatry, I just want to make abundantly clear, because more, more often than not, when people hear idolatry, they think worshiping and bowing down to a weird golden calf. Um, now, don't get me wrong, that is certainly idolatry. But worship is so much more than bowing down to an outward symbol. It's a matter of the heart, right? So Matt Chandler, I think, says it so well. He says, an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning, then I'll know I have value, then I'll feel significant and secure. So an idol is whatever we run to for security, to make us feel comfortable, to make us feel valuable, to make us feel better. That's why we run to idols. We're saying this thing, what is created, will give me more of that than God will. An idol is what we run to for approval, for a sense of power, for a taste of control, for the hope of comfort. And we run to what was created by God instead of Him because we think the idols will be better than Him. And that, in my opinion, is what is so heartbreaking about idolatry. So at the end of the day, when we think about idols, they, they tend to be a bunch of really good, beautiful things that you and I were meant to enjoy. We were. But they were supposed to transfer our enjoyment of that into worship and praise of God. But where idolatry happens is it stops at the idol. It stops at the person or the thing rather than going up and thanking God for it. It just ends itself on the thing. Idols are a bunch of good, beautiful things that instead of them being just good things, we try to turn them into God things. Okay. Now, I don't have a whole lot of time, but let me just give you one example. Let's talk about marriage or the idea of love, right? I mean, what does what culture in every movie say? Like, if, you're, if something's off in your life, if you feel this void in your heart, if you feel this emptiness, then you're going to find it. It's all going to go away. It's going to be fixed when you find that mythical one, that leprechaun running around with a pot of gold at the end. Like, if you just find that, it's all going to be better for you. I kid you not. I was watching a TV show a few weeks ago, and the girl, one of the lead uh, girls of the show said this. She was like, you know what? I have a wonderful life. I have the best job I could ever ask for. My relationship with my family is incredible. But I just always felt like something was missing. Like, oh, there was this emptiness in my life that I could never fill until I met you. Stereotypical male protagonist, right? Every book, every TV show, every movie, it all says the same thing. If you feel something's missing, if you feel like you're lacking... All of that will be fixed and healed and dealt with when you just find that one. Hey, married people. How's that going for you? Right? Hey, I say this to my wife in the room. 
Like when, when we experience this, right? And that's maybe, maybe some people in the room, like you feel some rockiness in your relationship. You feel some strife and you're dealing with things you never thought you would in a dating relationship or in a marriage because you're trying to make the person you're with, your spouse, God. And they were never meant to be God. I mean, let's think about this for a second. You're asking a person who is jacked up and broken like you, who has their own past and their own struggles to fill the void in your heart, in your own brokenness, in your own struggles, in your own temptations. So like, do we see how brokenness and brokenness doesn't magically end up as healing? The only person who can heal a broken heart is the one who created it. I mean, imagine, I mean, let's, I mean we can carry it further. Imagine the implications of that when we talk about people who are single. Are you trying to say somebody who's single can't live a life full of significance and value and worth unless they're with somebody? If that's true and what we're really believing, then Jesus lived a life of significance, right? But this is what happens when we run to idols. And it doesn't have to just be that. It can be money. It can be your job. It can be your kids. It can be your spouse. Idols are whatever we run to believing this is going to give me more of what I want in life than God ever could. I mean, C.S. Lewis says it so well. He says, idols will always break the hearts of their worshipers. that's, that's, That's the difficult part with idolatry. It looks like it's the best thing for you. And the the sad thing is when you run to it, you're probably going to get it. And it's going to satisfy you in the moment. And it'll satisfy you again in the moment. But in the long run, when you actually start paying attention to what's going on, you're going to realize what you thought this thing was going to give you more life is actually taking life from you. What you thought was going to be medicine to your heart is actually the poison slowly draining you of life. And all of it comes back to because our worship was placed in the wrong thing, rather the wrong person. But in essence, that's what worship is. It's giving of all of who we are, all of our hearts, all of our desires, all of our affections, either to God or the things of this world and everything in it, okay? Now, we're with what? Now, we've got to get moving to the why, because the why is what makes everything we just listen to worth listening to and keep going. So, why do we worship? Why do we worship what we worship? Well, in essence, we run to everything we run to in the hopes of feeling happiness, in the hopes of feeling joy. Blaise Pascal says it so well. He says it like this. He's a brilliant philosopher. He says, all men, all people seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object, happiness. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. That is why we do everything we do when we worship what we worship. Because reality is with worship, there is no off switch. We are always worshiping something. And we run to the things we run to because we believe within our hearts, this is what's going to give me more happiness, less sadness. More joy, less sorrow. More fun, less boredom. And when we run to what we run to, what we're, any idol, any time we worship anything but God, we're saying, you will give me more joy, more satisfaction, more life, more happiness than God ever could. And with that thought in mind, this now has, we have to talk about this. Because the Bible makes it clear, Romans 12, 1 makes it clear, we are to worship nothing and no one other than God, right? 
So why is that? Why does God make it abundantly clear that it's okay, it's good and right to worship Jesus, but it is considered sinful to worship other things? Why would he tell us that? Well, first and foremost, it's right to worship God and God alone because of the glory of God. The glory of God is the ultimate source of our worship, and it is why every word in the Bible is written. The why of our worship and the the why of every word in the Bible all comes back around to God's glory. Okay? Now, if you haven't been listening the entire time, I need your eyes right here. Eyes up. Can Can we have a discussion real quick? Can we all agree on something for just two seconds? Give me your most open mind you've ever had. If God is a truly good and loving Father, He will give us what's best for us, right? If He truly is good and He truly is loving, He will give us what is best for our lives and our hearts. Parents, can you help me out here? Like, that's kind of the job of parenting, a good parent, right? Their, their decisions are all made in step of saying, this is what I believe is what's best for my kids. But we mess up, right? And by we, I mean you, because I'm not a parent yet, I'm not ready. But... We, you're, there's imperfections along the way, but we're broken people. We're all broken people. We make mistakes, even in parenting. But this is God here. He's perfect. He's holy and perfectly wise in all that he does. He does not make mistakes. So for God to truly be a good, loving father, like he declares in his word, he will give us what's best for us. And if he ceases to do that, if he has what's best for us and he withholds it from us, he would cease to be good and he would cease to be loving, right? So then this requires us to think about like, okay, what is the best thing? What is the most precious, beautiful, transcendent, majestic gift in all of existence? God is... He is the most beautiful, perfect, gracious treasure friend that you and I could ever possess in our lifetime. There is nothing greater than knowing and believing and possessing a friendship and a relationship with God. Nothing. So for God to be a good, loving father, he would then have to give us what is best for us, what is truly good. Nothing else and nothing less. And the best that you and I could possess and know in our lifetime is himself. That's why if you see, if you read the scriptures, if you study the scriptures closely, you'll see it everywhere that everything God does is for his glory. That he is supreme in the universe and is the only one deserving of all glory, all praise, and all worship. Now here, because of that, is a thought you and I need to wrap our heads around. We also worship God because when we live for the glory of God, we get the most joy. Do we track with that? When we do everything we do, all of our life is devoted to the glory of God, the praise of God, the worship of God. That is when we receive the most joy. You and I need to get on board with and understand because it's true that God wants nothing more for your life than your joy. He wants your joy. But we need to understand that God's glory and our, and our joy are not at odds, but they're actually one in the same. They're on the same team. I mean, do you think God is glorified in your begrudging submission of Him? Do you think God is delighted and honored and glorified and worshiped rightly in our complaint-filled obedience and this idea of like, well, I better give Him the plate this week or He's going to strike me with lightning later on. Like, He's not delighted in that. Like, let me, let me give you one example. It's maybe a little 
little more helpful. Say this this week, I come home, I get home early, and I, I, make, uh, I make dinner for us, and it actually tastes good. It's always a toss-up. Um, and I, I, put, I lay flowers out on the table, and it's all prepared for my wife when we get home. And she's surprised, and she's welcoming. And she eventually asked me, hey, honey, why'd you do this? And I said, because it's my duty. Because I, was, because I was advised I should probably do this every once in a while. I think I read it in the Bible somewhere. How do you think this is going to go for me? It's going to go bad for me, right? Now let, let's change it up a little bit. Let's say I do everything, everything I did. Great meal, flowers, great time together. And she asked, hey, why, did, why did you do this? And I said, because I love you. Because I'm so lucky that I get to be called your husband and I married you and you and I get to call you my wife. I did it because I want to express my love and my affection for you. Do we see the difference? God is not delighted in your begrudging submission or complaint-filled obedience. He is delighted in our love and our satisfaction and nothing else but Him. So here's something you and I, we, we've got to learn today. Heaven is for those who love God, not those who are afraid of hell. And I love you enough to tell you that. Because I think there's, an, there's plenty of people today who made a bogus confession of faith because they were afraid of something when they die, but they have no relationship with God and they have no intent of knowing Him or following Him. Because the reality is, if, you're, if your confession of faith was based on, I don't want to go to hell, then you don't really love God, you just love heaven. You don't love the God who sits on his throne there. Right? So God wants our joy. He doesn't want us just to love his things. He wants us to know that everything we long for in this life is found in him. It's found in knowing him, having more of him. I don't know about you guys, but I think a good amount of you probably grew up in the church like I did. And I learned all of the what's of Christianity. Like, I learned all about Jesus. Jesus was really kind. He was really nice. He did a lot of good things. He healed a bunch of people. He even forgave people. He even lived a perfect life. But then he, he died on a cross for me, apparently, and then he was buried. But then he got out of the ground. And because of that, I'm supposed to trust him, and I'm supposed to follow him, and I'm supposed to obey him. These are all the what's I learned. But can I tell you the one thing nobody ever told me? Nobody ever told me that I should enjoy God. Nobody ever told me that all of my delight should be found in God. More than that, all of my pleasure is found in God. Can I tell you one of the most heartbreaking things I've seen in just churches everywhere is that somehow, for whatever reasons, we put God over here and pleasure over here. And the reality is the fullness of pleasure that you could ever experience and possess in this life is in Him, not away from Him. God wants your joy. He does. I mean, look, read this. John 15, 11. Jesus is just speaking to all of his disciples, all of his followers, people like you and me, jacked up, broken people like you and me are. Their own struggles, and their own things they're dealing with, their own things wrestling with. And he's telling them, if you abide in me, if you trust me, if you surrender to me and follow me, this is what he's trying to say. He's like, these things, everything I'm telling you to do, I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. I mean, do we get that? I mean, have we ever thought about that God designed the way it worked so it would lead us into more joy rather than trying to take joy from us? I mean, I mean, look at that sentence. Like, if we trust Him, if we lay down our arms and surrender everything to Him, the joy of the Son of God is in us. 
I mean, look at, look at Psalm 16, It says, you make known to me, God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I mean, in his presence, when we sit at his feet, when we, when we come in fellowship with him, when we pray and we listen to his word, when we sing in his presence, there is fullness of joy. In his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Why would we run anywhere else? Why run to the world? Why run to any of the trinkets and the toys when the Creator is offering Himself to us? I mean, imagine what all this means as implications of the gospel. I mean, think about that, that you and I were, were far off. Like, I was a person who deserved the wrath of God. Like, if I put all of my thoughts and I project them on the screen that I've ever had in my life, before Christ and after Christ, I would be walked out of here in shame. But God, knowing everything, the deepest parts of who I am and who you are, we deserved his wrath. We deserve separation. But this is what he says. He sends his son because he is crying out to us, I love you too much to live life without knowing me. To live life without having the chance to spend eternity with me. To go through life without experiencing the greatest thing for your heart and for your life, which is me. I mean, that's what, that's what the gospel is. That he loves us that much that he would sacrifice his own son that we might know him for eternity rather than he separated him from him for eternity. That is the gospel. God wants his glory and in the pursuit of his glory, we receive joy. I mean, could it be that God created his way of living life because he knows what will bring us the most joy and satisfaction in this life rather than thinking he's constantly trying to take things from us? God is not an enemy of your joy. He's not an enemy of your fun. He's not an enemy of your delight. He's not an enemy of your pleasure. All he's trying to say is when you run to him and you live for him and you lay down your arms and surrender him, there's more joy in it than less. The fullness of joy, the joy of the Son of God in you. David Platt says this, he says, If you can trust God to save you for eternity, you can trust God to satisfy you on earth. But do we believe that? Because this is how it all works. Sean Piper says it best. And it all comes, I mean his discovery and thinking and preaching for a long time, he says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most worshipped rightly, glorified when we run to him and find our satisfaction in our life and our love and our joy in him. And all of who we are in him, nothing else. That's what it means to worship. To find all of our worship to God and His glory. And in the process, you and I receive the most joy humanly possible in this life. And let me tell you, church, this is why we sing. This is why we sing. Because of the gospel. I mean, every time I step into this place and I lift up my voice, it's to remind myself, God, this past week, I... I ran from you in my thoughts, maybe some ways in my actions and how I treated people and how I treated you. I've run from you. But I want to be reminded again, God, you love me. You don't hold that against me. You embrace me. You take all of me right now in this moment again. And, in, and, I, and I raise my hands in worship and I don't do that for you to look at me. I personally don't like attention like that. But I do it as a way of surrendering to him, of raising my hand. Like if somebody holds a gun to you, what do you Hands up, right? 
And it's a way for me to surrender to God of saying like my life, all of whom we are, my head, my heart, my hands, my entire being is for you and for you alone, Jesus. I don't want it to go anywhere else. My hands are open, my arms are up. And it's also in a way when I, it helps me understand and register that God is my good father. Parents of small kids. What do your parents, what do your kids do when they run to you and they want to be held and they want something? They reach, right? They reach, hold me, take me. And they want to be held by you because they know all the safety in the world, all the comfort in the world is in mom and dad's arms. That's why I do what I do in worship. To run to my heavenly father to say, Jesus, take me, hold me, remind me again that you're better. Remind me again that you're all I want. Remind me again that you are all I need in this life. Help me not to run to anything but you. So church, I just want to close with this. Chris Salmon says it very well, and he says, worship isn't a feeling you wait for, it's a choice you make. Worship isn't a feeling you wait for. It's a choice you make. That's the invitations there for each of you. We don't have to run back to the things of the world. We don't have to run back to the idols. You have God opening his hand to you saying, there's pleasure forevermore, fullness of joy right now, in this day, in this moment, with God. You don't have to go somewhere else. You don't have to wait till later. You can have it right now, today, in Him. Don't be afraid to look deeper into your heart. Consider, why are you doing what you do? Why do you live life the way you do? Why do you view yourself the way you do? Where is it all found? Because if you're running to anything but Jesus for the joy and the hope of your life, then you're missing it. The fullness of joy through the worship of God and His glory is offered to you right now. Why would you run anywhere else? It's not a feeling you wait for. It is a choice you make, and you have a choice today. You have the ability to make that choice today. And some of you, whether you're a believer or not, like it's it's not hard. Like some of you might need to pray the prayer of David. Like he literally, man after God's own heart, murdered somebody and committed adultery and his prayer back to God after that because he was forgiven for that. He was, he was, he was loved and, re- and held by God even in the midst of that because of, his, because of God's grace and his prayer was restore to me the joy of my salvation. Remind me of what it was like to know you at the beginning. Remind me of what it means to sit at your feet again. So parents, I know you you could be thinking about your kids, you might be thinking about places to go, but I want as we close here, do not leave without working out your relationship with God. Where you stand with God, why you live the life you do. And if you aren't following Jesus right now, I just want to kindly, lovingly ask you, why aren't you? The fullness of life and joy is found in him and the invitations there, why not? I appeal to you, therefore, I beg you, please, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, make your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable 
to God. This is your spiritual worship.